Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, July the 25th, 2022. It is currently 9.17 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. And I want to take a few moments of your time to talk about love and biblical narratives. Tonight, we're going to, going to be talking about love and biblical narratives. Now, we are, this week, the Bible study exercise is all about what is love? What is love? Truly understanding what love is, truly defining it, truly understanding it. And one of the reasons we're doing this is because what I'm trying to demonstrate is the biblical standard of love. Because the, look, the great the, the entire law is summarized by loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And what we what, what I'm trying to accomplish here is I want us to so have a correct understanding of love so that we will all be humbled and broken by the fact that we will we will never come anywhere close to loving God or anyone else according to the biblical definition of love. Maybe according to human love we will, but according to the biblical idea of love, you fall short of it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Your love for others is always corrupted and tainted by the sinful nature. Love is something that arises from within, and guess what else is there? Your sinful nature. And guess what your sinful nature does? Think of it this way. Here is your sinful nature inside of you, and here is love inside of you. And something happens, there's someone in your life, and you're like, I'm going to love them. And then uh, your sinful nature reaches over and goes, okay, while you're loving, here we go. And it reaches over and it grabs love and it infects love so that no matter how much you try to love others, you always love your, no matter how much you try to love God or love others, you always love yourself probably more, or, and so, or, or that love is corrupted in some way, shape, or form. In other words, love does not ultimately make it out of you without being tainted and corrupted by the sinful nature that also is inside of you. But I think so many times we have this idea that, no, I'm supposed to love God and I'm supposed to love others. And this is going to prove that I'm saved. Well, no, if, you're, if your action is going to prove that you're saved, you're always in trouble because your actions will never prove you're saved. Your actions will always prove that you are guilty and that you're ungodly and that you are condemned. It's only the imputed righteousness that you can look to for proof of salvation. So we, I really want us to understand what love is so that we can see how far, how far we fall short of the biblical definition. And then we will see, wait a minute, if I can't love the way I'm supposed to, what does that mean? I look to Christ and guess what? He loved the Father the correct way. He loved others the correct way. And his love for God and others is imputed to me. So in Christ, I do love God correctly and I do love others correctly in Christ. In practice, I'm always going to fall short. That's one of the things we're really trying to accomplish this week in the Bible study exercise. But I, I came up with a brilliant idea, a brilliant, okay, maybe, okay, maybe not. You may not think it's brilliant, but at least I was like, whoa, that could be, that could be fun. 
this could be fun. This, this could be, every, everyone's going to love this. Now, I, I, hope, I hope you're going to love this. Now, some of you are going to be like, no more homework. Okay, but, but I have to give you some homework. Are you ready? Okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to consider the subject of biblical love. And I want you to consider it in light of biblical narratives. Now, when it comes to biblical narratives, the Bible is full of narratives, right? A biblical, a, a biblical narrative, they're, they're, they're all right there. Biblical narratives are all right there in your Bible. You read them all the time. And these biblical narrative, well, it's a story, right? It tells you what happened in this person's life and this person's life. And one thing that I have witnessed and listening to sermon after sermon after sermon over my Christian life, I don't know how many, ser- I mean, listening to sermons has almost been a hobby my entire Christian life is I see over and over and over that people take biblical narratives and sometimes do things with them that I think is incorrect and they mishandle biblical narratives and they misapply biblical narratives. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about how should we apply biblical narratives and then I'm going to give you a very simple assignment. I want you to find a biblical narrative that really either is a great example of love. It helps you define love. It helps you see love in action. And then I want you to take the rules on the correct way to apply biblical narratives, take the narrative about love, and then try to correctly apply it to, well, this study. All right, because this week is all about what is love. Maybe there's some biblical narratives out there that give you a powerful example of love. Just like, wow, that, man, when we talk about love, I can look at it from a more theoretical, academic definition point of view, but this biblical narrative is the best example of it, all right? I'll start thinking that way, but here we go. Let's talk about how, what, how should, how should we apply biblical narratives? Are you ready? Now, I have an article here in front of me that was published on July the 14th. 2022 by Christy uh, Gambrell. Christy Gambrell. Don't know anything about her, but we're going to use this to at least see their suggestion on how we should uh, apply a biblical narrative. And of course, I will offer my own criticism and my own thoughts about how you should apply a biblical narrative. So are you ready? So we're going to first learn about how to apply a biblical narrative and then Well, I want you to find one that really gives us an understanding of love, and then you can take these principles and, well, I'll I'll make sure you understand the assignment perfectly by the time we're done. Are you ready? All right. Sounds fun? Right now, what I want you to do is go, wow, this is going to be great. This is going to be another great week of Bible study. Okay, well, I'm hoping you're thinking that way. Here we go. Here we go. How should we apply biblical narratives? You've probably heard the joke about a man who wanted direction from God. So he flipped open his Bible and randomly placed his finger in it. His hand rested over Judas. His hand rested over these words. Judas went out and hanged himself. Trying again, he landed on these words. You go and do likewise. Needless to say, he didn't find quite what he was hoping for. You've heard that joke, right? And everyone laughs at like, like, that's just ridiculous. No one should do that. Now, I agree. No one should just open their Bible, point at a verse and go, oh, this is God speaking to me. This is God leading me. 
Okay, no, this is a verse explaining something that happened. But even though we make jokes about that, even though we reject that week after week after week after week in Sunday school classrooms all around the world, from the pulpit in churches all around the world, someone stands up, reads something from a biblical narrative, and then the next 45 minutes, it's apply it, apply it, apply it, apply it, apply it. And in many cases, I think they're applying it, well, in a way that's not the way you should handle a biblical narrative. Let's see what this article suggests. Most of us, that's how the article, the next paragraph begins, aren't that haphazard when it comes to reading scripture. But in our desire for truth, our desperation for guidance, or or our questions about why God does what he does, we may similarly mishandle God's word, leaving us to go and do likewise in ways scripture doesn't actually prescribe. Prescribe. I want you to hear that way. Sometimes we take the scriptures, we in a sense go and do likewise in a way the scripture doesn't actually prescribe. Now, I want you to write down two words. You know these two words very well. You've heard me mention this in my teaching all the time, but this is important. When it comes to biblical narratives, you have to see that biblical narratives is describing something, not necessarily prescribing anything. It is simply describing, here are the people involved. Here's what happened. The end. We have a tendency to take these biblical narratives and then start prescribing. You need to do this and 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 don't do this and don't do this. And are you doing this? And don't be like them and don't do this and don't, 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 don't. That's about 900 rules and 9,000 commandments. And we turn it basically into a massive preaching of law. Sometimes we'll try to find a way to bring the gospel into it, but it almost becomes constantly a list of do's and don'ts. Because we make biblical narratives constantly prescriptive instead of leaving them simply as descriptive. But even though I think there's way too much making them prescriptive, I think it's important to go ask ourselves, though, but what can we apply? What can we do with the biblical narrative that would not be a mishandling of God's word? Let's see if we can find some answers on this Monday evening. You ready? Here we go. This is particularly common when it comes to narrative passages. Biblical narrative or narrative passages basically make up over two-thirds of the biblical text. I want you to hear that. The biblical narrative makes up over two-thirds of the biblical text. That's a lot. That's a lot. Over two-thirds is made up of biblical narrative. Now, uh, these are stories make up a great deal of the Bible. That's another way of saying it. Stories make up a great deal of the Bible. On some level, we know that the people in them aren't simply bad or good examples of how to live. We should know that, I should say. We should know that. Sorry, I had to cough. It's okay. 
I'm good to go. All right. I'm good to go. There's nothing worse when you're like, I got a cough. And you, as soon as you press that mute button, you're like, you got to hurry and get back on the air. No, do not have dead air. Okay. But that's all right. I'm just glad the mute button is right there. All right. Here we go. So I hope, I hope that on some level, we know that the people in these stories are not simply bad or good examples of how to live. I hope we know that. But we have a tendency to go, oh, look, I read a biblical narrative. Okay, who's the good example? Who's the bad example? And give me the 10 things I should do and the 10 things I shouldn't do. And even though we may know that, when preachers are preaching these narratives, it's almost built into, I've got to make this applicable. I've got to give someone some lessons from it. It's almost like I have to do that. I'm not saying it's always wrong. But I think in some cases, it's a mishandling of the biblical narrative. We're making them prescriptive when in many cases, they may be nothing more than describing. They go on to say, I'm fairly certain Judas isn't a model to follow when I've sinned against God. Now, you could argue he's a model of what not to do. You could make an argument there. But what about Rahab when she lies on behalf of Israel's spies? Joshua chapter 2. Is that, is that a good example or a bad example? Or Peter, when he steps out of the boat in the storm, Matthew 14, do we go, see, see, that's what we're supposed to do. When we're facing the storms of life, get out of the boat and walk to Jesus. Now, don't, don't take your eyes off Jesus or you'll sink in the storms of life. That's how that's typically preached. Is that wrong? Is that right? Is that a correct handling of the narrative, or we have taken this story and make it prescriptive of something that maybe the text was never designed to prescribe. How are we supposed to apply these stories in our lives? It's here that an interpretive principle for narrative, okay, now listen, it's at this point that an interpretive principle for narrative passages guides us, sometimes stated as, Description is not prescription. This principle explains that a biblical narrative's presence doesn't necessarily imply approval of its contents. Description is not the same as recommendation, but in the absence of explicit commentary from the biblical author, how can we sort out what to apply from each story? So I want to make sure this is very important. Description is not prescription. Description is not prescription. When it simply describes something that doesn't automatically say, oh, it's prescribing that we should do this. Hey, hey, look, 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 in this passage, they did these four things. We should all do it. Every church should do it. This is the way we should do it. Well, wait a minute. Are you sure the passage is prescribing the way things work today? Or is it simply describing the way things worked then? You're just assuming because it happened in that biblical narrative, that's the way it always happens. For example, sometimes in Acts, something will happen like, see, that's what the church should do. And you're like, wait a minute, is that really prescribing what the church should do? That would be like reading the story of Samson and going, see, that's prescribing that what we should do, that, that we will grow our hair long and we'll have supernatural strength. No, you would not think that that's what that's prescribing, right? So why is it some cases we're like, it's prescribing what we do. And then in some cases we're like, no, it's simply describing what we should do. Right? I mean, do we, when we read Abraham getting ready to offer Isaac, does that mean everyone who has a child should take their child up to some mountain somewhere and take a knife and get ready to stab it and, and go through and kill your child unless a, a ram is caught in the thicket? 
unless the, the a ram appears, go ahead. Now you would say that's ridiculous. Who would think that way? Agreed. But then we turn right back around and another pass and another narrative and say, that's what we should do. This is what the church should do, that we should be doing this. We should be and like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what rule are you using here? So the general rule, this is whenever you come to a biblical narrative, is simply to write down, this is very important, description is not prescription. So immediately when you see a biblical narrative, just say, okay, description. The first thing your thought should be, this is describing something. First, you just want to observe what is being described before you even come close to considering what could be applicable or what could be prescribing anything to us. So, so I think that's very important, right? And we, we, have, we have to do that, all right? So, so in the absence of explicit commentary from a biblical author, now if a biblical author gives explicit commentary to that narrative, they offer something, right? In other words, you've got an Old Testament narrative, and then the New Testament comes along, takes that narrative, and then offers commentary. Well, then there you may have something prescribed, but in some cases you don't have that. So what do we do when we don't have that? Do we just ignore any narrative where we don't have a biblical commentary? We don't ignore it, but we need some rules to possible follow. And here's a couple of suggestions. Are you ready? Here we go. First, we have to respect the genre. We have to respect the fact that it's narrative. We've got to respect the genre. That's why it's so critical that every Christian understands all the different literary genres that are found in the Bible. First, it helps to understand what a narrative is. Narratives are not morality tells, but real stories about real people making real decisions. As such, they're not necessarily intended to prescribe a pattern for our actions, but they're written for our instruction, showing us truth and helping us live in response to it. So it may not be giving us a pattern. It may simply be instructing us by showing us the truth of a particular situation. And then we help, we try to figure out how do I live in response to the truth in which I have just seen. The now, uh, I'm going to skip the next paragraph because I completely disagree with the next paragraph. But I don't want to get caught up. I don't want to get caught up trying to explain why I disagree with the next paragraph. I completely disagree with the next paragraph outright. Maybe we'll circle back and do another podcast episode where I talk about this that I explain. I, I will go right there. It's not necessarily written, biblical narratives are not necessarily intended to prescribe a pattern of behavior, but it is, it's written to instruct us. It's instructing us in the truth of this story happened. Then we have to figure out, okay, what can, what, what can I do with what I have seen and understand that it may not be prescribing something, but is there some lessons that could be learned in it, Right. They give an example. The story of Gideon and his fleece in Judges 6 is often a reference as a paradigm for discerning God's will. Gideon asked God to do miraculous signs with the fleece so he can feel confident about God's leading. God grants these requests rather than, rather than condemning them. Therefore, we conclude God approves. This is the biblical way to ask for guidance. But is that what the passage actually intends to show us? Not a lot of people do that. 
He laid down this fleece and he said, God, do this supernatural thing. And this proves God's will. Well, first of all, I think there, there's so many issues with that, but that's not, it's not prescribing anything. It's describing how God worked with in the situation with Gideon and that particular situation. It's not prescribing anything. They handled Judges 6 this way. A closer look at Judges 6 does not reveal a Gideon who is desperately trying to figure out what God wants, but a Gideon who has already been told that God is with him, verse 12 and verse 16 of Judges 6, and that he should go and save Israel, verse 14. Moreover, Gideon has already been given a miraculous sign, verse 20 through 23, which he acknowledges when he asks for the additional signs with a flea sometime later in verse 36. The story of Gideon's fleece has nothing to do with, uh, with how to make a godly decision. And Gideon is not a poster child for good decision making. Instead, we see a man full of doubt, worry, and anxiety, and need of reassurance, and a God full of patience and gentleness. It shows us God's willingness to bear with people's fear, even in the face of direct promises. That's the way they say we should handle the story. It's not like, here's what you do, which is how it's preached over and over. No, it's like, Poor Gideon was still filled with worry and doubt. And you know what? We can understand that because we're often filled with worry and doubt. And guess what? God demonstrates his patience to Gideon. Doesn't mean that God's going to do the same thing for us as he did for Gideon because that's not prescribed anywhere. It's just simply describing. And so we learn a little bit about the character of Gideon that we can see ourselves in. And we learn a little bit about the character of God that we can take confidence and hope in. See, that's a more of a biblical way. By understanding the narrative, we can see, okay, it's not prescribing, but there are some truths that can be gained from it. I think that's very important. All right? And um, and is this not better than a set of actions to follow to ensure that our decisions are acceptable to God? How might it relieve our anxiety if we're approaching a decision-making with this view of God? He is patient with our anxiety, gentle when we predictably doubt, and question what to do. God will surely hear our indecision and worry and worry with kindness and graciousness, working in our lives even when we're scared. That is, that is so much better than, no, no, okay, here's what you do. Here are the four steps you take. And then, okay, hopefully you get a sign, and then you'll know. No, that's, that you're missing the whole point of the narrative. It's simply showing us that Gideon was still filled with worry and doubt. Okay, I can relate, Gideon. I'm right there. And how does God respond? With patience and kindness. Now, it doesn't mean God's going to do for me what he did for Gideon, because that would be foolish. That's not prescribed. That's not promised. But I know this, the same God, right? The same God of Gideon is my God, and he will show patience and kindness towards me when my fear and my doubt and my worry. That's a better way to handle the narrative. You've got to respect the genre and understand what's going on, right? Number two, we have to look to the rest of Scripture. We're also, we're also given the rest of Scripture to aid us in interpreting narratives. Letting Scripture interpret Scripture clarifies narratives in two ways. So we have to look to the rest. If we have a narrative, we got to look to the rest of Scripture to help it. Try, maybe it will help clarify it. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it can actually confuse us. Sometimes you read the narrative and then you read what the New Testament has to say about the narrative and you may go, wait, what? Are we sure? <laughs> are we sure? <laughs> Where are you getting that? Okay, and I could give you some examples, but right now we'll see what they have to say. Here are some ways that 
looking to other scripture to clarify the narrative, this is some of the ways it helps. Number one, first, there are many parts of scripture that are intended to prescribe our actions. We can let these passages evaluate the actions within. Now, let's, okay, let me, let me state this. There are parts of scripture that are intended to prescribe our actions. There are some scriptures that are there to prescribe our actions. This is what we are to do. We can let these passages evaluate the actions within narratives. So in other words, when we're looking at narratives and we're like, man, what are they doing here? What are they doing here? We can go to other scriptures and then be able to make some kind of judgment about the actions within the narrative. All right. That that helps us clarify or at least maybe determine how we look at their actions. In the case of Gideon, and the fleece, we turn, we may turn to Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. This verse prescribes trust in the Lord instead of our own analysis of a situation. Since Gideon is not readily willing to trust God's instruction, we can discern that his actions are not necessarily a model to follow. All right? So in other words, sometimes when we see a narrative, and we're like, okay, man, they do this and they do this and they do this. We can look at some other scriptures that either judge, condemn, or praise said behavior. And that gives us a way to at least clarify what is happening within the narrative. Another thing by looking at other scripture, something it can do. We can lean on scripture's own interpretation of a passage. Is the narrative spoken of elsewhere? Are the people's actions within it referenced or praised or condemned? For example, we find Gideon in a list of people who are commended for living by faith in Hebrews 11. And indeed, we do see him exhibit faith in God in Judges 6 through 7. But we also must be careful here. Being mentioned in Hebrews 11 is not a blanket of approval. Many of those who are referenced did morally questionable things. Okay, come on. Let's be honest. They did absolutely morally reprehensible things, okay? Uh, even obviously sinful things. They're not being commended for all their life choices, but for recognizing their need for God and his provision of himself as a savior. The very same thing that each narrative is designed to show us. So this is what they tell us to do. When it comes to a narrative, respect the genre, respect it and understand what it's actually trying to do. It's not prescribing actions. It's trying to show you something and you may take from it. So, so uh, respect the genre, all right? right? And that's very important. The second thing, look at the rest of scripture. And when you look to the rest of scripture, it can help clarify a narrative. Number one, it does this by giving you, the rest of scripture may give you scriptures that really give this is what someone can do and this is what someone can't do. And you can take that back to a narrative and go, well, According to this scripture, that action is clear. God condemns that action. That action is not to be praised. That action is wrong or that action is actually praised. It helps us, gives at least some way in how to interpret the narrative. But number two, we always want to look elsewhere in scripture because sometimes other scriptures give some kind of commentary about what we see. Now, sometimes that can be confusing. You read the story of Lot but when you get done with reading, when you're reading about Lot in Genesis, you're like, this guy, he's messed up. This guy, this guy is a failure. He's a loser. And then you get to the New Testament and Lot is referred to as righteous. And you're like, how is that possible? Well, then we have to understand that um, this is very important, that when reading biblical narratives, this is very important. We're reading stories about sinful people 
who are declared righteous, not because of their action, but by their faith. That's always important to understand. So we always have to consider other scripture to help us see. And we and we always want to look to other scriptures that are offering some commentary about it. All right? Now, this is what they say. This is how they end this. It's not a mistake that the majority of God's revelation is in narrative form. Although not written as an instruction manual, these narratives do inform our actions and theology. They speak to our true needs and draw us into deeper knowledge of God himself. May we learn to read them well so that we can faithfully follow the loving God who gave them to us. And again, that's by Christy Gambrell. And I appreciate that article being published because there's a lot there. I, now, there's something she said I would disagree with, but and I skipped some of that. But there's a lot there that we can work on. So here's what here's your assignment. Whether you choose to accept it or not, because if you don't accept it, I'm coming to your house, knocking on your door and go, sit down. We're going to do this together. Okay, I obviously can't do that for everyone who listens to this program, but I really want everyone engaged in this. All right, here we go. You ready? I want you to find a biblical narrative. I want you to really think about it. I want you to give it thought. Just don't, don't go to the first one that comes to your mind. Really spend some time thinking about it so that you may, you may have one that comes to your mind, but you may find a better one. I want you to find a biblical narrative that really helps you see what love is. See what love is in action. Something that really describes love in a powerful way. All right? I want you to find that narrative and go, whoa, this, this really describes love. All right? Find that narrative. Now, once you find that narrative, I want you to consider that narrative in light of what other scripture has to say. I want you to consider that narrative in light of any other passage that may offer commentary upon it. All right. So I want you to consider it from, from those. And I want you to consider it in respecting the genre, right? That it's a narrative. It's not prescribing. It's simply describing. But from that description of love, Right, And if other scriptures don't condemn it, if other scriptures would say, yeah, that's love, if that seems to fit a good biblical example of love, then I want you to just write out something simple about what you learn about love from that narrative. Can you think of like the best biblical narrative that really shows love? Right, and I'm probably going to, and I want you to let me know which one you've chosen. Newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, because I may pick yours to do uh, some teaching or discussion about. Love is this, and the reason why we want to do love is very theoretical in some ways. We we can go, okay, here's what love is, and it looks, but I want us to see human beings. Dealing with the showing struggle at, with love. And I want you, is it a good example? Is it a bad, bad example? You say, well, are, are there, uh, maybe there's an example in the Bible that is a horrible example of love. Find that too. You can find one that's a positive and you can find one that's a negative if you, you would like, if you would like to do that. All right. So what have we learned? We have learned this very important principle that biblical narrative makes up a good portion of the Bible. That biblical narratives are not there to prescribe, but there to describe. Remember the principle 
Um, description is not prescription. Okay, so we have to understand that. So first, we have to respect the genre. Oh, oh I'm, I'm reading a biblical narrative. Respect, respect. Okay, this is not prescribing. This is simply describing. What is it describing? Truly focus on what it's describing. Not just ignore what it's describing so that you can start prescribing. People do that with Gideon. Oh, oh, it's telling me how to pray. It's telling me how that I can put down a, a, a prayer fleece and then ask for God. And he's going to, that's not, no, it's demonstrating that Gideon still had doubts and worry after being given information and been given supernatural sign. He still wanted more. Well, I'm a lot like Gideon. I still doubt. I still have worry. And then what did God do? God demonstrated patience and mercy and love and grace to Gideon in the the midst of that. Now, does that prescribe what God is going to do for me when I'm in a situation? No. But you know what it reminds me? That there's been other people of God who've been filled with worry, doubt, and fear, and anxiety. And so I'm just like them. They're no different than me. I, I struggle with those same struggles and difficulties and sin. And God, the same God of Gideon, is my God who is compassion and gracious. So respect the genre and truly understand what's going on. Second, look to the rest of scripture. As you read the narrative, consider the actions in the narrative in light of other scriptures that do prescribe attitudes and actions, and then you can judge what's happening in the narrative that way. Second, look to anything else in the Bible that offers commentary on that narrative, and then you may get an actual biblical commentary in helping you apply the story. There you go. And then your homework, find a biblical narrative. I'm just going to go ahead and and say it this way. Find a biblical narrative that's a great positive example of love and give me a a biblical narrative that's a bad example of love. All right. And I want you to really think about, I want you to find good ones. And then I want you to just read the narrative over and over and over and just simply write down what lessons do you learn about love from it? Not that it's prescribing anything, just obviously if love's involved, what did you see? What did you learn? And then that's all you need to do. All right. I'm going to stop right there. You can email me. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I hope this adds to our Bible study exercise this week. Remember, if you haven't been listening, go back to part one this week. Where it's all, What is love? That's our study this week. We're basing it off 1 Corinthians 13. I've already given you homework there. Remember, there's curriculum that's free to anyone who wants a, a, wants access. You just have to email me. I'll send you a link. Take advantage of this. There's not a lot of podcasts out there trying to give you guided study through a, a text of Scripture, a chapter of Scripture, or whatever we're working on in, on any particular week. We give you homework. We give you assignments. You can email it to me. There's a curriculum. We try to do all of this to help people actually get into the Word of God. Now you've learned a little bit about biblical narratives, and now you're going to go find one to deal with this concept of love, and hopefully you're going to see it from a positive and a negative perspective. I cannot wait to see what you come up with. Email me. If you need any help, have any questions, let me know. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.